Hello and welcome to the Electric Shadows podcast with me, your host Rob Daniel, and as always I'm very happy to say I'm joined by my resplendent esteemed co-host, Mr Rob Wallace. And as always, uh, you're far too kind and it's a pleasure to be here. I am far too kind, but I mean every word, so therefore I have to say it, which means I'm not far too kind. Anyway... We actually have only a certain amount of time left on the SD card here, so I can't be wasting it on waffle like this. But this is the stuff that we know you like. So let's quickly get the plugs out of the way. Rob, would you like to go first? Uh, you can find my work at www.ofallthefilmsites.com or follow me and or follow me on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace. And you can find my stuff at electric-shadows.com. You can find me on Twitter at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, or wherever you get your podcasting needs from, apart from the Acast, which is the big one that we're not quite on yet. But that's something put on the to-do list. That if we did that, I'd have to cut out all of the clips that I put into stuff like Night of the Living Dead. Because oh, really? Doesn't let you allow, doesn't allow you to have them? I think it's not so much that. Well, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it is exactly that because they are a revenue generator. So, right, so you can't generate revenue off somebody else's content. I could go and license all of those clips and that music. Good How with that. easy do you think it would be to license Jimi Hendrix? You can presumably just leave the, all the clips in of Night of the Living Dead, as we've... <laughs> yes, as those... My God, that's such a good point. As those who have listened to the Night of the Living Dead podcast know it is now a public domain title, which means that is the only stuff we will be able to leave in there, I, I like, think. But well, like you saying, now a public domain title. <laughs> yes, always. It was, I think for about a morning it was under copyright. Not anymore. The worst fucking noise. The worst fucking noise. Anyway, there's that. And also, one other thing that I've heard on a couple of podcasts that I've been listening to this week and thought, oh, yeah, we have never done that. If you like what you hear, or if you don't like what you hear and you want to give us some feedback, please go to Apple Podcasts and either leave us a star rating or just leave us some words about what you think about the podcast, what you like, what you think could be improved. That would be really useful. So, um, yes, I'll have to remember to say this every week as well now. So if you could remind me, that would be good. I won't. No. <laughs> no, I, I, Inevitably, I won't. And inevitably, this will be the only time that I say it. 
Anyway, so today we are going to be primarily looking at It, Chapter 2, Andy Muschietti's sequel to the 2017 horror smash hit, It, which we both liked, I think. Yeah, I, I liked it tremendously, but yeah. might even made my top 10 of the year. Oh, really? I don't think it quite scraped mine, but I was really pleasantly surprised by how good It was. And we've waited two years for the sequel, for the closing chapter, and it has arrived. I think we can just dive into it, really. Yeah, I don't. We? Yeah, I don't think there's too much we can spoil. Oh well, no, well, obviously there is, but we'll hold back. We'll. Uh... Yeah, we'll be careful to talk around the spoilers. Obviously, from this version. Um, sorry, from this movie, but also it won't be spoiler heavy for the 2017 film. Although it did come out a couple of years ago, so you should have seen it by now. But anyway, it's fine. Should we uh, read the IMDb synopsis? Yes, indeed. Would you like to take it away? Twenty-seven years after their first encounter with the terrifying Pennywise, the Losers Club have grown up and moved away until a devastating call brings them back. Yeah, it's a pretty good pressy. Yeah, indeed. So this is the sequel. This is the adult one. So the original... (laughs) (laughs) This is the one with the grown-ups in it, I should say. Because the first one was basically Goosebumps, wasn't it? I mean, it was one step, half a step above from Goosebumps in terms of just how scary it was. Um, Really? No, it was fucking terrifying. One of the really nice horror moments of the first It was to give Pennywise the Clown, as played by Bill Skarsgård, a shark mouth when he goes in for the kill. And he kind of has that, the way that a shark's jaw kind of comes out of its mouth mm. as it goes in for the kill. Well, I almost thought it was a bit, I thought it was more like a sort of like a lamprey. You know, sort of rings of teeth. Yeah, and the idea of like almost, it wasn't quite like an external jaw. It wasn't like a quite, it wasn't quite like for an alien. But no. yeah, the idea, yeah, all of a sudden the jaw snaps open and he's taking a bite out of a kid. Yeah, there is an element of that. But I'm not sharp. <laughs> I think it's also the fact that he, his head kind of moves impossibly quickly, mm. shakes impossibly quickly, which I always thought was, again, like a shark when it's got something in its mouth and basically will try and thrash it into submission as its teeth soar into the flesh. Yeah, so th- these were the kind of things that I was having as I was watching the oh, yeah, clown I- eat the kids in the original It. But I think they've made lots of really sort of interesting, d- disturbing choices with uh, the situation of Pennywise. I mean, the, there's the eye. Yep. The slightly skewed eye. The way that the eye will just keep rolling mm. independent of the other one to the opposite direction mm. or roll up. It's very subtle to begin with, and then you realise something is really off. And that's what I like about this. You get the fact that it's not a killer clown. It's it just is, a guise of something. It is a form that it's taken, that it doesn't really care about just how realistic it is. Well, it it doesn't care time, about holding the form that much. Whenever the kids get really close, it kind of, and it's kind of waiting to pounce it, but it almost kind of loses control of it itself. Yeah, there's a horrible moment of drooling, isn't yeah. there? Which I thought, again, was very good. So, yes, yeah, so in the first film, the 2017 film, they... The Losers Club. Yes, it really focused on the kids in the Losers Club. Uh, it was set in 1989, so updated from the 50s in Stephen King's book. But really terrifyingly, the same amount of time from now to 89 was the same amount of time from 86 to the 50s. So that makes me feel really old and, oh my God. Because you see things like, all oh, right, so Lethal Weapon 2. Oh yeah, 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 indeed, and Batman. Yeah, 89. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 5. So yeah, and this is the one that focuses more on the adults. So in Stephen King's book, it kind of flashes backwards and forwards and the adults appear in it a lot sooner. But basically 27 years after their teenage encounter with it, it returns to feast on the children of Derry, the town, once more. And they get a call from Mike, who is the only person who stayed in Derry, saying 
that they all have to come back to battle it once again. And that's kind of, yeah, that is the plot really, isn't it? Uh, and it's what happens off the back of that. So would you like to say what you thought of it first or do you want me to go first? Uh, you go first. I go first. Okay, right. So I really liked the first film. I thought the first film did a lot of stuff really well. There were a lot of changes to the book that I think it did really well. Uh, I thought it was scary. It had the confidence of a really well-made big budget horror movie. And it was a big budget, and it made an astonishing. It made you know, sort of like over half a billion dollars, I think. Yeah, and adjusted for inflation, it's the most profitable horror movie ever made, and it had the biggest opening as well. I think if you were to adjust for inflation, for things Get like, out. I think The Exorcist. Really? Okay, okay. So yeah. things like The Exorcist. Oh yeah, sorry, going back rather than going forward. Yeah. So this one, yeah, I was really looking forward to this. I think we can see where this is going. I was watching the 171 minute long It Chapter Two. And the opening was really strong. And I thought, yes, I am so into the idea of this film. This is going to be so great. And I had a Jack Reacher never go back moment (laughs) where about halfway through, so about 80 minutes into this movie, I realized I was meeting it so more than halfway in trying to like it and that I wasn't being rewarded for my efforts. I thought this one was a real disappointment. I just thought that the characters didn't have anything to do. I thought that after the really strong opening, it just lost its way, really. I think for a, there's, it's a really long film that has a lot of things in it, but it doesn't seem to really have much going on. And, and I think that the structure is kind of hobbled by the fact that all of the losers have to have their encounter with a tormenting vision that the clown appears to them as, or they get some kind of supernatural manifestation that scares them. I did think... I did, and it's very episodic. I, I did think the second act was incredibly episodic, because, yeah, they're sort of on, on a quest in the present day, and they, they've split up, and they, they each individually go to a, a location that has some significance to them. And then it flashbacks back to an encounter that they had with It back you know, when they were a kid, you know, an unseen encounter, previously an unseen... Yeah. And then it flashes forward to the present day, where they have another encounter with It. It just feels a bit rinse and repeat, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And I also thought, as I was watching it, I thought... There is no progression to this movie. These episodes are so standalone that you could shift these up and put them in any order. So shuffle them about and it wouldn't make any real difference to how this story is being told. Then just, uh, to be honest, I just got a bit bored by it. There was one point where I thought, oh my God, I can't believe that I'm actually, my eyes getting heavy watching this film because I'm so uninvolved in what's happening. Well, I am, I was lucky enough to be able to go to a slightly early screening, um, courtesy of uh, Mr. Adrian Zach. Hello, Adrian. Friend of the podcast. Um, at the vaults, uh, behind Waterloo. And, uh, they've got like, they had like a whole it experience there. They kind of recreated part of the fun fair. Oh, uh, wow, part okay. of the, uh, the canal funfair and what well, we just went along to the screening there was a, actually one thing that was convenient about the structure is it did let me know when I could go to the toilet in what way in, t- in terms of like oh okay we're at this bit for this character now I can, I'm probably safe for the next couple of minutes <laughs> that's exactly it this is a film that is while it isn't structured to be a compelling horror film it is structured it's very novelistic isn't it well but even then I don't think that it's as good as the book in terms of but it is it is well structured sorry just for your convenience (laughs) it's like okay I think I can go for a loo break and not miss anything but one of the things that I thought could be an issue with this film because everyone always likes the stuff with kids more because it's just more of an adventure you get more peril when it's kids there's more of like a Stranger Things vibe to it Stand By Me, which is, again, also a Stephen King book, obviously, or based on a Stephen King book. 
Whereas with adults, it's like you have to work harder to make it as engaging. And I think one of the things that they do in this film that was the correct decision is that they also have a lot of the kids in it still. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't miss them. No. Yeah, the flashbacks to the kids are, I think, good enough or sufficient enough that you don't think, oh, yeah, I'm missing the actors from the first film. I just think that the adult actors are not given anything to do. And I think that part of that is because they've actually filleted a lot of the adult section of the book out. Uh, so characters who play major roles in the book, like Bill Densborough, played by James McAvoy, his wife is a major character in the book. She's not in the film. Well, she's and, in the film at the very beginning. Yeah. And then so, I mean, she's and, not and, in, and then never comes back. That's right. Same for Beverly, so played by Jessica Chastain, her husband. He's a major character in the book as well. He is in and out before you know it, really. And I thought, well, the thing here is that with his character in particular, it's kind of a mirroring of the Henry Bowers character, who was the bully from the first film and the bully from their teenage years. So therefore, it suggests that evil is passed down and that bad characteristics and bad seeds are passed down and that this is something that goes on cycles. If you take that out, then you lose, I think, a lot of what makes the book a brilliant book. And again, the Henry Bowers character in this book, um, sorry, in this film, I just didn't think he had that much to do. It was one of those things where I thought, okay, so you're not really setting up what the rules of Pennywise are here. He obviously can kill kids. We see him get an adult, but he never seems to be much of a threat when he's tormenting them with visions. They always seem to be able to ultimately shake their heads and it all disappears. So, so the Henry Bowers character has to be his vessel of real physical threat. Yeah. But, that doesn't, I don't think, comes across either. I was I was watching it thinking, oh, I am so trying hard well, yeah. to like this. But it's also like, you know, he has to kind of lure the kid, he has to kind of lure the kids to him. Yeah, and I, and I kind of get that, the whole the playful, sadistic side of him. But it's like, okay, you're in the shadows and you want them to come into the shadows. Why? Because you're trying to, you know, lull them into a false sense of security so you can chomp down on them. But like, surely, so you're trying to make them less afraid. Like, I know, is this like just literally Pennywise playing a game? Almost like a challenge to get them to come to him. Well, I thought actually that was one thing that was in a way well done, although I found it a little bit disturbing. And there was one time when it wasn't earned. There are two murders in It Chapter 2 that I thought were very disturbing. And I thought, well, they should be disturbing because this is a horror film. And to be honest, Stephen King books, even though he is a big mainstream horror author, his books are dark. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Doctor Sleep in a little bit as well. And we did a podcast on Pet Cemetery earlier. And yeah. So. And childhood trauma and childhood death are main themes that run through his work. And there's a sequence of child killing in Doctor Sleep that I was reading on the train when I was reading the book a few years ago. And it so freaked mm. me out just how dark. It's in the cornfield yeah. when they get... Yeah. Oh, that was like... I thought... I think that's hinted at in the new trailer. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's in the first one as well. I was thinking, all right, so that's going to be in there. So Stephen King has never just been the R.L. Stein or the Dean R. Koontz of horror. He is one of the grand nightmare makers. So therefore... The murder scenes in it, chapter two, even though they involve some children, I think have to be dark. And the first one I thought was very well done, even though I found it very uncomfortable to watch in terms of the way that Pennywise is using psychological tricks to lure this person in. That then goes on to my other issue with the film, in that I just thought this film had very little optimism in it, other than a real forced bit of optimism that we're going to have to talk about in spoilers. Yeah. And 
for the most part, was very, very dour and just kind I, of miserable. I don't know if I found it miserable. I thought there was some, some definitely some like leavening humour to it. See, I didn't get that. And I thought that the losers as adults, I thought, well, you're being true to the fact that they've all come from very successful lives. So the, everyone who leaves Derry becomes really successful. Mike, played by... As I must fuck. He stays, hasn't really been that much of a success, hasn't been able to do much with his life. Well, partly because he's been obsessed with... With it and with discovering the history of what this is. So it makes sense that they're all really pissed off that they're having to return and put their lives in danger to battle the evil again. But the way that was done, I thought, just came across in really angry ranting and a lot of F-bombs. It was one of those where I noticed the swearing in this film much more than I normally do in a film. I, I, there was one moment of that I really liked when... um the uh, the Richie character played by um, Bill Hader, Bill Hader yeah. at one point comes face to face with like you know Pennywise or one of Pennywise's incarnations and basically just goes fuck off. Yeah, that was and, that. And it's like it's like yeah, that's because that is exactly how you'd react. <laughs> like you, I am so done with this fucking shit. But that was the thing is I mean that. I know it's what you mean, and when you say it, it is funny, but at the time it was like, I've just been worn down by this. If that came with a lot less of what came earlier in terms of just the miserableism, I think that would have landed better with me. But And there's another murder in there that I thought, well, I didn't think that one was as earned. And I thought, well, in terms of this being a big mainstream horror film, okay, so you've got the first murder, there's another one that comes along, but in terms of mainstream storytelling you kind of have to do something different and maybe even reverse what we think is going to happen or the characters are left with no power and there really isn't a lot to root for. And I really thought that with this film. I really liked a lot of the character stuff or a lot, at least a lot, a lot of the performances. I mean, I don't think there's really a weak member of the cast and they all get something to work with. I mean, that, that's kind of what the second act is in service of, making sure that they're all combating their fears in one form or another. Yes, and, and you know, yes. Uh, Sorry, go on. And you know, uh, Beverly's kind of been caught up in like a cycle of abuse with her with her dad and her, her husband. And Bill is still dealing with the death of Georgie and his guilt over that. And they do something interesting, not entirely successful. I was like, I thought at least interesting with Richie in terms of where what his fear stems from. It was an interesting touch that I thought, and it did add more to his character. I'm trying to think of other things that I liked I think, in there. I liked the scene that's in the teaser trailer when Beverly go to see the old woman. Mm. Even though I thought it overplayed its hand a little bit in terms of the old woman being glimpsed, being odd in the background. Yeah, I mean, naked in the back. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely being some, naked some, like, in the background. Um, it follows yeah. old person nudity, you know, is this... Is always going to be terrifying. <laughs> I also found that, you know, when the old lady kind of takes up the, the form of, like, the long, it was very mama. Which I haven't seen. I haven't yeah, seen yeah it's, it's good. It's worth a look. Yeah, it's worth a look. I thought that might have also been a nod to The Shining as well. Because there are some references here to other films. I thought that some of the demons or some of the demonic manifestations seem to be a little bit Sam Raimi Evil Dead of course another huge horror film from the 80s and one that Stephen King really championed when he saw it at Cannes uh, called it the most ferociously original horror film of the year to which the cheeky folk of Palace Pictures took that quote and put it above the title on the poster and said the most ferociously original horror film of the year yeah. <laughs> but it's ever like, it's like it's like it, even of the year is still pretty good like yes yeah. <laughs> if you got Stephen King saying that then I think people are going to be quite interested anyway 
there's a reference to the thing in there as well. So it does seem to say, right, we're going to get the big 80s horror classics and we're going to reference them. And it looked the part, but I think when you're getting into this sort of thing, struggling to find nice things to say about it. I, I, I really like yeah. some of the finer detail. It was just as... On the whole, and we can go into more in spoilers, at the start of the uh, film, and it's referenced a couple of times throughout, kind of jokingly, is the idea that Bill is a successful writer, but people don't like his endings, or yeah. don't like the endings you know, of his most famous, the ending of his most famous book. And I think that's kind of lampshading the fact that the ending of It, it sets up, or chapter two sets up, as does the book, a lot of mythology. Yeah. Because when you have a creature like Pennywise, like It, you need to find a way to defeat it. And in order to do that, you need to explain it. And in order, and then, and therefore, you know, you kind of need to rationalize it even like a, in like a mystical way. It needs to have like rules by which you can be defeated. Yeah. But none of that is interesting. Nobody who's watching it follows going, oh, I really want to know about like what the, the backstory is. Yeah, yeah. And then you get into something like us when he does try to explain what's happening. And it's like, no, stop doing that because it's better for us, for us, huh? To just, project what we think is happening you you uh, present a situation you present certain things certain maybe clues to think about and then you leave it you're absolutely right when you try and explain something you get into midichlorians territory and then it's like okay i'm just so not involved in what you're talking about us has the thing as the problem that it tries to marry the literal with the allegorical absolutely in, in a way that doesn't isn't quite satisfying but this one though yeah you're right when mike is talking about all the work that he's been doing. I thought, well, the reason you're doing this is because Mike really isn't in this film very much. He has the opening. But he does. He's the only one who doesn't get a flashback. Does He does because he's there as a kid on the landing when he sees that thing happening. Yeah, but he there? doesn't get like a proper, he doesn't get like an encounter. No, he doesn't. That's right. But his character is the least developed in terms of his arc is just contingent on them defeating it. But then I thought, but well, that's the arc of all of them, really. I mean, I know that the Beverly... And Bill have issues from their childhood with Beverly and her dad and Bill and his brother dying. But all of these, I thought, my God, these are such gossamer arcs here that I just don't think it can hold a 171 minute film. And I was thinking as I wrote my review, it would have been better to have Mike be the leader. So change the book and just have Mike be the one saying, look, you are all having to play catch up here. I'm the one who's going to help you through this and almost become like their guide through it. Because I just thought that James McAvoy, who is the you know, nominally the big star of the film and is also the leader of the losers, I just don't think that he really had enough to do to carry any real gravitas. It was like, my God, you're Professor X. <laughs> yeah, we'll follow you to the that's, end of the that's, earth. That's the thing. He's don't... dealing with his neuroses in a he way is. that like, he's off on his own. I, I can't remember if it's in the book. They're all given us... Not entirely convinced it works. They're all given a reason why they have to stay because a lot of them want to leave. Mm. But then it's suggested that if they go, there will be an inevitable outcome. Yeah, there is. And it's, and it's been, I mean, one of the amusing things about it and it chapter two is that because I read the book uh, in 1988 and then I think I read it again in about 1993, I can't remember a lot of the book. So therefore, watching it, it's like, oh yes, there's a lot of these there's, things there's that come in There's a certain degree of irony with there that, is, isn't there? The fact that you've forgotten everything that happened, then things begin to remind you of it. It's like, oh yeah, this is the bit, and oh yeah, because Beverly's husband is the same as her dad. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so there was a lot of that, but, and you're right, there is something in the book that suggests if you go, you can't run away from this problem, it will still follow you. It follows. That wasn't in this film, though, and I thought that the losers as adults didn't really have any sense of camaraderie, and no real... 
I don't think no. The, the, I think the um, the Chinese restaurant scene was 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 nice. That's where, to be honest, the first real doubt came in for me. I thought I'm not getting any bond from these actors. These are all really good actors. I just don't think that the script and the the direction here, everything here, seems really forced. And it's like, well, I can buy the fact that it's forced because they're all getting together again, having pretty much forgotten each other, and they're getting together because of these extraordinary circumstances. But I don't get this as being the big scene that brings them all together. I uh, I do think that Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy had a remarkable lack of chemistry. Yeah, really. That I was thinking that. And it really made me think, I really like Jessica Chastain. And I saw that Molly's Game has appeared on Amazon. I was thinking, yeah, I must watch Molly's Game again. But I do think maybe it would be interesting to see how this film would have been with Amy Adams. Particularly as the young girl who played the Amy Adams character was in Sharp Objects a game playing young Amy Adams and there are some uh, uh, Sophia Lillis thank you and there are some scenes where it's like heavens you could be Amy Adams daughter <laughs> well, well there's a line in it where like you know uh, which is like uh, um, which is like a creepy mocking line you smell like Lois Lane which I think is a reference back to the original movie where she does something where she gets compared to, like, to Lois Lane but also obviously the current Lo- Lois Lane is Amy Adams yeah indeed <laughs> it's like <is> that- <laughs> there are so many layers of this onion I'm trying to think of what else I can say without actually spoiling the film. I have to wait to spoil it. Now, I have to admit, I did walk out thinking, and it was, it was one of those where, I know it's, in a way, it's reductive to think of a film in star ratings, but I can't help it. I'm sorry. So at the beginning, I'm thinking, we're back, four stars. Uh, the opening was so good. It's like, yeah, this is fine. I'm in good hands. It's four stars. Gary Dorberman, yes, he did that shit Manson family dud wolves at the door. Do you know what? He also did Annabelle Creation, and I love Annabelle Creation. Another really good film about kids being terrorised by a malevolent force and having to band together. So, yep, it's really good. About 45 minutes or an hour in, it's like, okay, this is three stars. This is, I'm kind of enjoying this. And then about 25 minutes later or so, it was like, no, I'm just trying to force this to be good. I can't help it any more than I have done already. I think this might be a two-star movie. Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian was right. <laughs> so I think I'd give it three. I liked too much of it to say two. And even when I didn't necessarily like it, I, I more often appreciated what it was trying to do. So what were the bits that you liked? Because that was the thing that I was... I thought I, I, I liked the Chinese restaurant scene. I, th- I actually I actually thought it was quite... That could just largely be the fact that um it feels like they just let Bill Hader improv. Yes. And you really, really like Chinese food. Yeah, and, and I really... So I like Chinese food. No, because when I was watching this, I was thinking... Because you'd already seen it, and I was thinking, I really want to know what you think of this film. Because you hadn't really said much about it. And I thought, okay, I really want to know what Rob thinks about this. And then when you said that actually you were warmer to it than I was. It was like, well, actually, that's really interesting now because I really want to know what you got from this film that I say, I just, maybe I didn't. I liked a lot of the moments. I liked, I liked when they all get their, get their separate calls from Mike saying they've got to come back and how hmm. they, how they all, how they individually react to that. And again, the Bill Hader one's very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Won't spoil it. It is a bit different from It, the miniseries, which I saw a little bit of because that was on the Sony movie channel the other day. And it was that the moment when Bill Hanscom, is that his name? Ben, Ben Hanscom. Ben Hanscom, sorry. When he gets, and it's played by John Ritter in the miniseries, he gets the call, and it's just a good idea, that is. And it seems to be one of those that you can't really fuck that up, because in the miniseries, it's very good as well, when they all get the call, and they all, and just look absolutely like the worst thing in their lives has happened. And in this one as well, I thought, yeah, this is really good, they're all getting the call... I it's thought, been updated in some pretty good ways. I thought the bit of the fortune cookies, you knew exactly where it was going, but that didn't make it, that didn't make it less effective. No, and is that in the book? 
Because I seem to remember that from the book. I thought, oh yeah, this is the bit yeah. where it's all a big, it's a sentence. Everyone's got one word that spells out a sentence. And I thought that was good at the beginning. And then it takes them so long to spell out what it is. It's like, oh my God, can you not see it yet? I can see this. And I know you've all forgotten it, but Mike should be able to see this. Yeah. <laughs> it took ages for him to get it. It's like, you're all successful human beings. <laughs> it's like It's like when you're watching Wheel of Fortune or Catchphrase and it's like, it's so obvious what it is. Too many cooks spoil the broth. Please, please, <laughs> please, can someone just say that? Before I lose my shit. Before I lose my shit. And the scene in the funhouse was... The set design of that, I thought, was yeah. good. And I did like the fact that, that the James McAvoy character, this is all in the trailer, just keeps walking into... Into the mirrors. Into the mirrors, yeah. Turns out to be glass that seems to be a corridor. That was well done. There are, there it just are. took a long time to get to the ending. And sorry, to go back to what you were saying about the ending, and we're not going to spoil the ending here, we will do that in the spoiler section, but the ending of it, the book, is very out there. But I always think, well, maybe you should have a go at filming this, because uh, every time you try and do something different, it's still not as good as what Stephen King did in the book, even though that is very out there. Again, I do think, yeah, it's the problem with scale. Yeah. The fact that you've got to find a way to scale it up somehow. Whereas Pennywise, prior to that, always exists on, like, a fairly... Yeah, he's... Almost like a grubby level, isn't it? It's like, he is a... He's John Wayne Gacy. He is. He's a child killer. He's this horrible clown serial killer that lives in the sewer, so literally lives amongst shit, and kills children. Yeah, for free. Can't get more grubby than that. And he's yeah, Freddy Krueger. And yeah. actually, part of how they deal with him is very Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's another film that reminded me of as well, but we'll get into that in spoilers. So Bill Skarsgård is, I thought, for all the praise that Bill Hader's getting for this, I thought that Bill Skarsgård was man of the match in this film. I thought... He's not in it a lot, but when he is, he is absolutely brilliant. He does seductive evil very, very well, I think. Like kind of giggling, childish kind of... And he has a face that is almost a weird special effect in terms of how rubbery it is. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there was a lot of prosthetics going on there because... Yeah, indeed. But I think that the eyes, and I know that the eyes have also been digitally tinkered with as well, but he just seems to be able to... To give good face. I mean, I was, you, you see him in his Bob Gray persona from the book. Yes. Uh, and you, and that's, that's in the trailer, so it's not spoiling anything, but you see him like without his makeup. And that, again, seemed to have some kind of prosthetic. Yeah. There. It was, um, I didn't find anything as freaky as Pennywise's jig from the first film. The one where his, where his head, it's like a gimbal. He's like, his head yeah. is suspended. Sorry, not like a gimbal. You know what I mean? His, yeah. uh, his head is suspended and his body's going underneath it and his head's not moving. It's like, oh, that's yes. just, no. It's like this. Awful river dance from the neck up. (laughs) I thought the, in a slightly different way, it wasn't creepy, but it was disturbing. Not the first murder, but the second murder, when he's using seductive psychological trickery to get get his victim. I thought it was very well done, even though I found it really disturbing. The first murder, actually, I thought was very good. Again, it's in the trailer, but when he extends his hand and is all slightly out of focus. Yes. Well, yeah, when they, when he's coming up from the... He comes up from beneath the surface in the POV and all of a sudden Pennywise is there on the bank and it's... Yeah. It was at that moment that I was like, yeah, I, I I'm th- in good hands you know, you, do you know who play, Do you know who plays um, the character who's killed... Who plays Adrian Mellon? Xavier Dolan. Yeah. yeah. Is, uh, who's um, French-Canadian director Xavier Dolan. He's a famously openly gay director. And he's also an actor. I mean, he has been in quite a few films and acting roles. And this is a homophobic attack that he's the victim of. 
so the film opens with quite a strong homophobic attack at a fun fair, and it really does focus on the kind of hatred. Mm. And I thought, well, that's good in terms of you get the sense that Derry is a town that's been poisoned, even though this thing only comes along every 27 years. The residual evil and the impact, just the psychic trauma it has, just leaves everyone mean and horrible. And you can update it, and you can, you know, you can throw it ostensibly 30, you know, 30, 40 years into the future, and nothing has changed, you know. Like, you know, the so fact, I, think, that's, sorry, I mean, that sequence in the book would, would have taken place roughly around the time, I guess, of the child sequences in the film. Because that's in the book, um, the homophobic yeah, attack. Yeah, and at it, that it, time, it would have been around the AIDS scare. So yeah. there, was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of yeah, hatred and animosity to the gay community because they were being blamed for AIDS, which, you know, we all know is silly, but that's how it was back then. But now it's like, well, I'm sorry, but there is a rollback to intolerance again. And it, so therefore, yeah, it does seem as if every fucking 30 odd years, we just forget the lessons of the past and become shit again. So I thought, my God, that was in the book. And it's still really relevant now. Yeah. Yeah. But Xavier Dolan playing that, I thought was very good. It was a nice little meta commentary that was there if you wanted it. And then you get the, uh, the balloons and they're just something about hundreds of red balloons that is just always going to be a bit creepy, but also quite spectacular. And I thought, yeah, this is good. This again is like, it's good, big mainstream, big budget horror. Oh, I'm so in the mood for this film. (laughs) Three hours later was like, Oh no. Would well, you have anything to, else to say about the film now before we get into spoilers? Not really, I don't think. No, I think I'm good as well. So let's get into spoilers now. We will put in probably the sound of Pennywise laughing or something to let you know you're in the spoiler section. So if you haven't seen It Chapter 2 yet, strongly recommend you turn off now and come back after you've seen it because we will be talking about some spoilers and as much as I didn't like the film, it would still be a shame to have the film spoiled for you if you haven't seen it yet. Okay, we are now in the spoiler section. So, yeah, the ending was shit, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the ending was pretty much the same as the miniseries. Yes. It's like, a big spider again. <laughs> I mean... A fucking big spider. Yeah. It's like, I know that spiders are... Is it the spiders are the most commonly feared thing because... I mean, clowns. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah, It's a clown that. spider. It's a... <laughs> but arachnophobia is more common... Than chlorophobia, isn't it? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, a big spider seems quite manageable, to be honest, because you just get a really big slipper and <laughs> squash it. I don't know. I just thought, I can't believe that you've had all this time to think of an ending. And you must have really been thinking about an ending. Because, as you said, it is famous for the cosmic scale that the ending happens on. I mean, there's a big turtle. <laughs> yeah. That Bill has a quite a long conversation with. Maturing. And what's it? Because it's the turtle and it is another creature I seem to remember. I know it's to do with the deadlights, I can't. That's right, yeah. It's like, he's like, there's some of the sort of kindred and he's from the macroverse because he, he has the narration. It, it gets like a chapter in the book, doesn't it? That's right. And that's the thing is that when you start taking this stuff out, it becomes like, ironically, 112263, the fantastic JFK time travel book that Stephen King wrote, a chapter of which is set in Derry. The protagonist goes to Derry as part of, of going back in time to try and stop the Kennedy assassination. And it's a few years after the events of it from the 50s. And he talks about there just being a bad atmosphere in this town, like a bad vibe in this town. And he's talking to a bartender who says, yeah, there were some quite horrible murders that happened a few years ago and it's left the town in quite a bad way. Really like that. It just suggested there was you, you, this... You haven't read the Dark Tower series, have you? 
No, because some of that's set in Derry, isn't it? It's set everywhere. I tried reading The Dark Towers 1, actually, when I was about 14, so prime age for it. And I lived for Stephen King at that age, and I could not get into that book. Is it worth about 200 pages? Yeah, but 200 pages. It's like, it's like we talked about before, the 85 minutes. Oh, no, it's... it's, If you're watching... They're great. I I read all of them in, like, basic... I read, basically, all of them back to back. I even, you know, and then I read the one through the keyhole and... Yeah, I might give the first one a go. But in terms of it being 200 pages, if it's 200 pages that you're not interested in or that you're not feeling, oh, it's not one of those 85-minute movies. It's immediately a fantasy western. And then, you know, it's a fantasy western written by Stephen King that essentially acts as a linchpin to his entire canon. When you put it like that. <laughs> but I just could not get into that book when I was reading it. Because that was around the time of Misery. And I read Misery and I just adore Misery. And I have a first edition of Misery on my shelf that I got from eBay because I thought, I love this book so much, I just want a first edition of it. So, you got The Dark Tower? The book? Yeah, somewhere. I'll, I'll dig it up. Dig it out, that'd be great. Anyway, yeah, so, um, but to return to 11.22.63, in the TV series of that, they take out a lot of the ending to the point where it makes no sense what is actually there. And in this film... When you take out a lot of the stuff about the deadlights, they just become this thing, just don't look at the deadlights. It's like, keep your eyes shut, Marion. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so we're going to do that then? So you take him out the, 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 all yeah, the background? That is that good bit of Richie again. What's that bit? Where he uh, he's basically just throwing a rock at it and he's giving it some abuse. And he kind of has that, yeah, that big heroic moment and then he just gets hit by the deadlight. And that annoyed me because I thought are they going to do something here and change the book because in the book it's only well Stan kills himself doesn't he yeah and then Eddie sacrifices himself he um in the book he gets his arm bitten off or something he does doesn't he yeah he basically dies whilst he's fighting the monster but in the book when Tom I think it is who's Beverly's husband sees it in its true form he drops dead of shock and I thought because of of course the Tom character's not really in in the film, apart from... At the very beginning. So I thought, is it going to be Richie who's dropped dead of shock? Because his eyes roll up into the back of his head and he looks like he's staring into the reactor from Chernobyl. <laughs> so it's like, great, okay, wow. Oh, no, no, no. Even though it looked like he was coming face-to-face with one of the most primal forces of cosmic evil, he can bounce back from that. Okay, that's fine then, so we'll, we'll do that. And I'm so out of this movie now. I just wanted to now be over, please, because it's a big spider again. <laughs> I can't believe it's a big fucking spider again. But, and, but then they, they use that as the basis again. They kind of separate the characters and have them complete their own little journeys. They do. And it's one of those where, again, I didn't think the scene with Bill in the, the flooded cellar. cellar. Yeah, I didn't think that worked. Because it was like, so you're basically having a go at your brother. I know you're not having a go at your brother. You're having a go at the, the guilt that's taken the form of your brother. But you're still having a go at your brother. And Beverly in the toilet, I thought, well, this is like a recreation of the scene from the first one. But And you've got the blood back. But I just I care. <laughs> I just don't really care. And, and Ben's in like the clubhouse. Yeah, and I th- and again I thought that. And their whole thing about a Bev and Ben going to get back together is like so uninvolved in. Well, I actually quite like that. And then there's a big spider again. We'll just say <sighs> I remember watching or renting the miniseries from the video shop in 1991 when it was released here. And me and my mates, and it was during the summer holiday, and I got all my mates around to my house, and we were going to watch three hours of it, and it was like, it's three hours long, it's properly done, it's not an hour and 45 minute movie, oh. and yeah, it's made for TV, but I hear it's still really, really horrible and gory, and we watched it, and back then, and it would be interesting to watch it all again now, because I'm sure there's some bits of it are still really uh, quite I've good. I've watched them 
all, well, no, I've I watched them all about, would have been slightly more than a decade ago now. Wow. I think I've watched basically all the Stephen King miniseries. It's me and my mate, my mate Charlotte had them all on DVD for whatever reason. Uh, so her dad, uh, her dad Ian. Hey Ian, if you have to listen. <laughs> hey Carol. Hi Charlotte. Um, um, uh, had them all on DVD. So we basically watched, I think, all of the Stephen King miniseries, including the notoriously shit ones, including like the Langoliers. Well, to be honest, you say the notoriously shit ones. What are the notoriously good ones? No one in this film was as brave as you are for watching all the games. <laughs> the Tommyknockers was Tommy a... Knockers. Wow, it was a tough one. Um, the only thing that I really remember about the Tommyknockers is, one, it wasn't very good, and two, Tracy Lords was in it. Storm Ooh. of the Century, that was... I never saw that one. Um, I saw a bit of the Langoliers and thought, no. The Stand so... was... Because they show the Stand on, it might be the Horror Channel. One of those sort of channels in that area of the EPG has got the stand and they yeah. show it on quite a hard rotation at the moment. It looks like a filmed pantomime now. I remember when it didn't look shit, but it looks so cheap and rubbish. I mean, that's, it's uh, just uh, rubbish. That's Matt Furr is the trash can man, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's right. I thought, I thought he was, I remember him being good though. I remember the guy who's playing, oh, what's his name? The main villain. Yes. Who is it? Oh, we need to look this up. Yes. Who's the main villain in the Stop dark? Looking. Look Go up on. the dark tower. Look up the dark tower. Cause he's the main villain in that as well. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew's not Matthew McConaughey in this film. <laughs> okay, so we've got the Dark Tower up, and it is, of course, Jackie O'Haley. No, what? Dennis Haysbert. Catherine Winnick. Um, I should have just looked up the stand. Roland Flagg. Say again? Roland Flagg. Roland Flagg. He's also the main villain in... Oh, I think he meant the actor. No! No, I knew it was Matthew McConaughey. Fair enough. Um, well, let's look up the stand anyway, because there are some actors in there. She's played by Jamie Sheridan. Uh, so Gary Sinise is, of course, the lead in The Stand. The 1996 version, was it? Was it 96? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. yeah with, uh, four, sorry. It's, it's Jamie four. Sheridan, but it's Jamie Sheridan with these with long, flowing auburn locks. It's such an odd, specific... And he's wearing, like, denim. Yeah. Uh, that was rubbish. Stephen King is in The Stand, and he has a very nice cameo in It Chapter 2. Yeah. And that's one moment that I did think, oh... That's really nice, because I was waiting for him to turn out to be Pennywise as well. But and he isn't. No, he's just a bloke. He just owns the local second-hand shop. Do you think the pharmacist was Pennywise? Because because mm. me and Adrian, I think, uh, because me, uh, me and Alex, sorry, had a disagreement about this. I don't think he was. Mm. I didn't pick up on that if he is, I have to admit. I think he was just gross. I think he was just, you know, obviously... Yeah, I thought that. I thought it was one of those where... Because in the book, I don't think he's as gross, but he basically tells Eddie, you haven't got asthma... Your mum is... Munchausen's by proxy. Yeah. But in this, again, I just got the impression that everyone had been corrupted and tainted by the evil in this town. So even if you weren't anything to do with Pennywise and you weren't a demon, you were still a horrible person because you lived in this town that was poison. Yeah, so, but the Stephen King cameo I thought was really nice. And I did enjoy watching that because I watched Sleepwalkers for the first time last year, the Stephen King cat film with Matron and Mick, and it's <laughs> rubbish. I mean, it's so rubbish. And Stephen King has a cameo in that. So Stephen King in Stephen King adaptations typically means it's going to be not very good, and that's unfortunately the case oh, with It in it's Chapter 2. Story in Creepshow, isn't it? But that's not really a cameo. That's he's, he's, he's got a role. He's, he's, just... he's got a role. He's Georgie Geordie. Geordie. <laughs> but he's also the priest in Pet Cemetery who... Um, the word officiates the um the funeral of tad and there was some other ones that he was in as well and it's always like is in he has a cameo in creep show 2 as a truck driver and that shit and of course he has a cameo at the beginning of maximum overdrive the one that he directed and that shit as well so um anyway 
And then the way they defeat Pennywise. Well, yeah, it's Nightmare on Elm Street rules. I will take away all the power I gave you. I will turn my back on you. You are nothing to me. And it's like, okay, you could have done that any time. You didn't have to go on any big journey to make this realisation. Because I think the Bev says... No kids had to die. No kids had to die. 1989, a kid died. 1989, the next week, a kid died. No kid had to die. Because I thought, hang on a sec, are we just going to do this then? Where she says, you don't have to... Because they're trying to get it into a tunnel or something, aren't they? And it says... Everything must obey the physical rules of the form by which it applies or something, whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we'll just rip that out of our ass right now. Um, and says, yeah, well, you don't need a space to make something small. You're rubbish! <laughs> and I thought, okay, this thing seems to be a cosmic form of evil. You're negging it. You're the, bullying yeah, it. The, yeah, and, it's, and you're bullying it. So what we're saying here is the good bullying works. Like... The only thing that can stop a bad bully is a good, good bully, bully with a gun. <laughs> I'm getting really confused right now. Yeah, this, the movie, that's, that wasn't my biggest issue with this portrayal of certain things. It's like with the end, kind of, as you say, the end. Well, let's the... save that because that was the point when you texted me that. It was like, actually, we'll get on to that in just a second because I didn't quite remember because I'd actually, ironically, blocked it out because it's so rubbish. But just to quickly go back to Pennywise and them negging him. This could have been done any time, as you said. No kid had to die. And also, why is this working? Why is this working? There is nothing here. There is no incantation. There is no historical or mythological knowledge that is needed for this. It's just one of those things where you've just decided this is going to work. So therefore, you basically shame him into being smaller. So you beat him up. And tear his heart out. And tear his heart out. And it's like, okay, um... Okay, let me approach this from the form of allegory. No, it's still insipid and shit. Um, no, that's, uh, well, let's just all agree that the next time they do this, maybe in 27 years, ha, huh, they should really just have a go at doing that ending from the book. See how that goes, because it can't be anything worse than the ending that they keep trying to do here. There's also an Indian version of it that I think was made for Indian TV. Do they crack it? <laughs> do they well, do they crack the ending? That'd be a- yeah. Well, that's the thing is, I was reading about it on Wikipedia, thinking, do they crack the ending? It gets into Indian superstition and Indian religion. It's actually about a kid who was, I think, he was bullied into suicide and comes back as a vengeful ghost. But the idea of them, <laughs> even it, it's so far that it bears no resemblance. Apparently, it has been. There are some marked changes from the book. And it seems to be the very, very loose structure of when they were kids, they fought something and they called back as adults to fight it again. That seems okay. to be the... But at the end, they basically... I think they just all apologise to it. And he says, oh, that's fine. Um, <laughs> which I which could be completely wrong. I skim read it on Wikipedia. But it does seem like there's an air, an air of forgiveness to the ending that means that they have beaten the thing. And I thought, well, do you know what? Even though that doesn't sound like it's going to work either, an ending that has forgiveness is still more interesting than an ending that basically has them bullying it and then ripping its heart out. But then again, it did kill kids. But as you said, no kid needed to die. (laughs) No kid needed to die. And I thought, well, okay, there's an element there, I suppose, of teenage trauma and you block out the things that really upset you as a kid. And one of the things now will be shaming and bullying, particularly in this social media age. No, I think I'm giving this much more credit than it deserves. And then... You sent something through saying, and lampshading the ending really, really bothered me because one of my pet peeves is 
a suicide as a heroic act trope. And I thought, well, was he talking about Eddie there? But he didn't really commit suicide. He was just uh, battling the demon. Oh, no, no, no. You're talking about Stan and the way they changed the book. So the, the really chilling element of the book where Stan kills himself and writes it in blood. He kills himself in the bath. And on the tiles next to the bath writes it in his own blood because he can't face going back to face the evil again. Really chilling moment in the book, as you said here, is kind of retrofitted to become optimistic. It's one of them tactical suicides. (laughs) (laughs) And as our friend Ian... Ian Bird, you'll have heard him on the podcast before. He was talking about suicide. We were talking about it with another friend. And this other friend said that suicide, what was it? He said it was something like it was selfish or something like that. And Ian said, yeah, well, suicide is rarely an altruistic act unless it's Charlton Heston throwing himself on the biggest bomb in the world, (laughs) which of course is a reference to the end of Beneath Planet of the Apes. I think that that also makes sense in terms of tactical suicide, unless it's Charlton Heston throwing himself on the biggest bomb in the world, doesn't work in your story, be it film or book or poem or whatever else you want to do. I mean, So what happens at the end then? Well, at the end, they all receive a letter from Stanley who killed himself. From beyond the grave, they get letters. Yes, they get letters. And he basically goes, well, you know what, guys? I knew that I wasn't going to be any good and everyone who had to be there had to be united. So I uh, uh, took myself out of the equation. Yeah, took myself out of the equation. <laughs> he, he, he compares it to chess. It's like oh, yes, that. he does. That's right. Go on. And and uh, Andy Bean, who plays Stanley, gets a, a sm- literally gets a smug look into the camera. He does because like, you see him writing, don't you? You, see, you get the flashback of him writing. You if you could have had him send the letters and actually just been like, "I'm so sorry, I couldn't face it. I hope you can. If you're reading this, I hope you're all okay." Mm. Like, they could have just done that without it being like, ah, oh, yes, Stanley, the master tactician. Yeah, he was the real leader. Do you know who the best leader is? The one who kills himself <laughs> before, before the battle begins. <laughs> Excuse me, darling. I'm just going to go to the bathroom and open up my wrists and then write yeah. it. Because he's because he still writes it in blood yeah. on the wall. And it's like, well, if you've written all those letters, why are you writing it in blood on the wall? It, that makes no sense. The only reason you're doing that... a bit that, of a time, it was a doodle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so actually this is taking much longer than I thought it would. I can do some art with you know, this. Like all, the, all those, because I'm so sensitive. All those master tacticians from, from history, you know, like you know, Napoleon, Alexander the Great, who all killed themselves in a fought battle. And when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he topped himself. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, or the potential for the breadth of his domain, he topped himself. Bravo, bravo, Alexander. And it was weird that point because. I'd kind of checked out a little bit because it does have a lot of endings. It's, again, it's you know, Lord of the Rings. Although I actually think the Lord of the Rings it earns all 17 endings because uh, it's fucking great. This one just seems to be going on a bit. So to be honest, when Bill gets the letter and opens it, and I think it's Mike says, have you got your letter yeah, yet or something yeah. like that? And he thinks, oh, is it, is it tax rebate? He doesn't really think that, but anyway. And he's reading it and I, I, I kind of checked out at that point. So I was going like, what's this? <laughs> What's this? What, what are we doing now? We are turning his suicide into a happy ending. Oh fuck off! And then and then and then it, you know, it, you know, it shows them all standing on the street in front of like the uh, the window. Yeah, and you see their reflections of them as kids. And it's got you know Mike driving along the road. And then there's the there's the narration. I think it might even be Stanley saying it was like when you're a loser, you've got nothing to lose. It's like Stanley, you killed yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you ended your life. I don't know. Maybe. Obviously, the reason they kept it written on the wall in blood is because for anyone who'd read the book, to have that scene 
and you only get a glimpse of it. But to have that scene and, and not have it written in blood, it'd be like, why is it not written in blood? It's a really, really famous moment from the book. Partially because it isn't written in text. It's actually written as like a drawing, isn't it? It kind of shows what it looks like and it's all scrawled on the page. Oh, look at that. But in this film, it makes no sense because he's completely happy with what he's doing. So therefore, why does he have to write it? And if he's writing all these notes, presumably he wrote a suicide note to his wife. And You if get he, the impression not. I know, yeah. And the fact that he didn't means that he's a complete piece of shit because he writes all his mates a letter. I mean, he writes about six letters... But not one to his wife. He just writes it. You get the impression that he like he writes one letter and then copies it out another five times. Yeah, but but he doesn't print it. Um, sorry, he doesn't. But then you've got like type did, it and print did, it. He handwrites the letter. Yeah, but did he handwrite them all? Like under what circumstances did he handwrite them? Did his wife come in and knock on the door and say, "Do you want a cup of tea?" And he's like, "Oh no, honey, I'm just writing something. I'll be out in a bit." It's like that's <laughs> fucking cold. <laughs> There's a lot there where it's like I want to see. I want to see a 40-minute short film that is basically that night. Because that took time. He's not weeping, sobbing. I mean, presumably he posted them. I think he got his wife to post them. <laughs> so it's right out of shit, isn't it? So therefore he's like, go on, love, can you pop those in the post tomorrow? But, but it's your turn to get the groceries tomorrow. You, uh, the way... I've I got a feeling that you're going to have to get the groceries yourself tomorrow. <laughs> Why'd you say that? No reason. Did he leave them for her? Did he arrange courier? Either he gave them to her in advance like how does that play out how do you make sure those letters get to where you want them to go because she's going to be distraught so either you include that like a note like you haven't really bothered to write her a letter you've basically just gone into the bathroom to end your life and you've left a sticky on the door saying please remember to post that but it's also one of those things where it's like well you're right there is no indication that he's written a letter to his wife but in terms of logic, and I know this is so far removed from logic right now, but in terms of logic, if she sees all these letters and her husband's topped himself in the bath, the first thing she's going to do is open all these letters to read what he's been writing to people. He for copied some... it out five times and he <laughs> left me nothing! For some clue as to what's happened, yeah. <laughs> he basically changed pronouns and bloody names. It's like, nothing, no clue really for me oh in my... terms oh, of what... He did leave me a letter, but it just says, dear, insert name here. <laughs> Dear, no, just call dear To whom it may concern. To whom it may concern. I am dead now because I'm a hero. I'm a hero and I've saved my friend through opening my wrists in a terribly heroic way and then writing you a cryptic message in my own blood <laughs> on the tiles whilst all my other mates get fulsome descriptions of why this was a good thing. Yeah, that was one of those things that I thought, do you know what? Fuck this just a bad film you shit the bed on this one really annoying because i was quite looking forward to getting the 4k set of the two of them together now i i'll probably watch the first one again because i like the first one and it does kind of work as a standalone which i think was designed to be that you know you in always, case it didn't do that well you can always get the miniseries in 4k yeah. You can. <laughs> can you imagine how that would look? It's so grainy, I think I could actually see the turtle. Yeah. The turtles in this can one. see through reality. It's like, it's like, it's like a, at Fright Fest when it says, like, not optimised for IMAX. It's like if you put a found footage up through there, we're going to see, like, the gaping more of Cthulhu yeah, piercing saw, through the ether. All I saw were deadlights. I was like, oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yes, that would be pretty rough to see the miniseries in 4K. But you know what? I would rather watch the miniseries again than It Chapter 2. It, the first one, is always going to be the best one. Can you end this, though, with the sound clip of Tim Curry going, beat, beat, Richie? I have to now. That's a very good call. Also, there's that really good scene in the miniseries 
where Rich is in the library and all the balloons start falling and bursting blood over people, but they don't react. Well, they do react because they all kind of flinch and they're all cut, aren't they? So that so the main bit of the flinch has been taken out, but it's still an effective moment. I looked at it on YouTube yesterday and it still works pretty well. And I was really hoping they would have that in this film, even though I think it's not in the book. It's mm. just for the series. But I thought, yeah, that's really good. Please put that in there. No, you haven't got that. Okay, that's fine. Well, the bit with the balloons at the beginning was good. We'll always have the bit with the balloons at the beginning. <sighs> All my hopes now, because this is, of course, was the second Stephen King adaptation this year after Pet Cemetery, which I also didn't like very much either. That also had some bizarre choices in it too, didn't it? Had a slightly inadvertently comic ending, or oh, sorry, comic climax. That the new one was all right, but yeah, the, the yeah, climax of like you know um, Jason Clark getting beaten up by his zombie daughter. In there. <laughs> no, no, the bit that you okay. nailed. <laughs> <laughs> is when Jason Clark brings his daughter back from the dead and she is on the bed next to him and says, hello, dad. <laughs> and it cuts to him and you said the Curl Your Enthusiasm music should have started there <laughs> because it was, and it's so true, it's like, Yeah, that was absolutely hilarious. So all of the hopes for this year now of a good Stephen King adaptation are on Doctor Sleep. Mike Flanagan, the director, has form. 1922, uh, Joel's Game, and of course he did The Haunting of Hill House, as he is doing the new season as well. And I really like the book. I mean, I think mm. it's, I think, you know, as a book that was written as a sequel to The Shining, and the fact that the, the film or the trailer suggests is it's going to try and kind of bridge the gap between the book and the film. Yeah. Insofar as the, the, the overlook still seems to exist in kind of real, real time and real, as opposed to just as a, as a manifestation of Danny's fears. Yeah. The ending of the book, it blows up. Yeah, of, of The Shining, yeah. The, of uh, the Shining, the, the, sorry, the, yeah. Um, whereas, of course, in the film it doesn't. It's still standing there. Well, the hedge, maze, the hedge maze is in it as well. Yes, that's right. Um, <gasps> which do, you, of, do you think we'll get the topiary animals finally? <laughs> well, as someone who bravely sat through all of the Stephen King TV adaptations, you would have seen The Shining. Yeah, it's so shit. <laughs> and you know what? I've not seen that one, and it's I think it's on Amazon Prime. And I thought, well, go on then. Let's have a look at, let's see how much I can stand of the late nineties TV adaptation of The Shining, written by Stephen King himself, because he famously didn't like the Kubrick version. He, after it was made, said something like, well, I always knew if I gave myself enough rope, I could hang myself. <laughs> I think he kind of acknowledged but, it but wasn't I, very I, good. I, but, yeah, no, sorry, but obviously he's acknowledged from, from this film. That might be a good thing. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, so do yeah, what? So you can say, save the day and have a really good version of The Shining that sticks to, to your book. But of course, the, um, the Kubrick version of The Shining is fucking brilliant. Yeah, so I tried to watch The Shining on Amazon Prime. It looks like it's come from a second generation VHS. It is such a bad picture and such hissy sound. I was amazed that they actually put up something of such shit quality on there. Oh, they don't have QC, do they? They don't. I, they really don't, I don't think, because it's like, well, you would never let this through. And I couldn't watch it. I watched the first five minutes, and not because it was awful, although it didn't look very good, but it was more Steven the fact... Stephen Webb is quite good. Yeah. That's the thing, is that everything in there, apparently, King had a lot of control over. So Stephen Webber is much more how we imagine Jack. Yeah. So Jack Nicholson, of course, is... Unhinged. <laughs> unhinged from the very beginning. It's like, well, that sounds just fine to me. So I'm like, this is the scariest job interview ever. And you're not the one doing the interview. Anyway. And you've got the Topiary Animals, although apparently Kubrick looked into doing that, but said that there, you know, there wasn't the effects capability back then. And the maze is a, is a much better metaphor as well. But yeah, is it shit? I think it's one of the better ones. <laughs> which is not a high bar to cross. <laughs> no, not at all. 
Anyway, yeah, so, but it does have the type of animals in it, doesn't yes. it? And I'm sure they look horribly CGI in that. You can look them up and I'm sure they're on, I'm sure they've made it onto YouTube. Do you know what? I might even put that as a video on the page when this goes up, um, on Electric Shadows. But Doctor Sleep looks good. It looks, as you said, like a good bridge between the book and the film. I think that Rebecca Ferguson is really good casting as Mama Rose, I think it is, yeah. leader of the True Knot. Yes. When I was reading the book, I imagined her, but I think that the actress would be too old now. I imagined her as Lena Olin. Okay, yeah. Um, but Rebecca Ferguson, I think, is really good casting for that. I'm really interested to see you and McGregor. Absolutely, yeah. Quietly optimistic about that being a good film. And it's a good story as well. When I was reading the book, I thought, oh, this would be good if Guillermo del Toro had a go at this. I really wanted him to do it. And then when Mike Flanagan came on, it was like, oh, okay, well, he's all right. But that said, I do think that 1922 the Thomas Jane adaptation of a particularly grim Stephen King novella is really good. And it sticks really close to the novella and it gets it just right, I think. I've not seen Gerald's Game yet because I'm a bit scared of that bit where she oh, tries the, to get out the of the gloving, club. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's actually, that is the reason why I haven't seen it yet because I really like Carla Gugino, really like Bruce Greenwood, thought the book was really good and I'm really squeamish about that scene. So it's like, just been a bit rubbish. Getting soft in my old age. Take pills for that. Yeah, indeed. The pills, they do not work. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, nothing shines down there. Oh, you, you forgot, you forgot, your, you forgot the... Uh, <laughs> nothing floats, Rob. You forgot the smutty humour to open the episode. Oh, yes, indeed. The, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, should we close it with this? Yes. Um, is there anything else you want to say about Doctor Sleep? No, I think I think we were... Latest trailer that went live today, we're recording this on the 9th of September. It was good? Yeah. Yeah, this is episode 69 of the electric... <laughs> I am going to keep that in. I'm not going to. So, this is episode 69, Bill and Ted's favourite number of the Electric Shadows podcast. Yeah, it's so we have been locked (laughs) in 69 episodes. Um, And I couldn't imagine a better 69 partner to to have across 60. I mean, that's actually. I mean, obviously, it is hilarious um, that we are on episode 69, dudes! Also, see three episodes, that's yeah. an accomplishment, it's I think. It's a body of work. It's a body of work. It is a body of work, yeah. I think there's some, and I flatter ourselves, that we've had some quite good chats in there as well. Yeah, I think we've probably unearthed the odd nugget of insight along the way. God, I hope so. It's all it's all barren. The JFK episode is still the most popular episode. The Shin Godzilla one is really popular yeah. as well, which is Atomic Blonde and Shin Godzilla, and the Bill Hicks one actually was really popular as well. Others that are really popular too. Well, I wonder how the, I wonder how the Fright Fest LFF one is doing because we got some retweets on that. Yeah, we did get some really really good retweets off the back of that, which was very good that you uh, sent it out. I think you should send them all out now because you seem to get more retweets than I do. So that's fine. Just keep doing that. What about the tagging rob? Well, I tag like a fiend anyway. You've got, you, you you've got the magic you can't touch. Have with it. Yeah, yeah please, <laughs> please retweet, please. I hate this. <laughs> so on that note, why is he why is he standing in the shadows holding a red balloon? Yeah, so on that note, let us say thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll just say one more time, if you do want to leave a review or a star rating, or if you just want to comment saying that I was wider the mark on It Chapter 2, don't think I am, but if you uh, disagree, then it would be great to get some feedback on Apple Podcasts. Apparently that's the best place to do it. Thirsty bitch. Thirsty bitch. <laughs> My craving for um, some kind of recognition is thirsty bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Changing the name of this podcast. It's the Thirsty Bitch with Me podcast. (laughs) 
So, what's next? It might be London Film Festival. I think it will be the London Film Festival. It'll probably be the opening film of the London Film Festival, mm. which is in two weeks. So that'll be the personal history of David Cobfield, yeah. yeah. That'll be good. Okay. Um, well, there was... I did see the director's cut of Midsummer, which is also 171 minutes, exactly the same length as it, chapter two. Um, you don't need to see it. You can watch the two-hour, 25-minute cut and get... And I actually preferred that cut. I thought he had improved it into not a failure, but it didn't have the same power, I thought, in that longer version. It just took a bit longer to get to the end. Didn't add a lot more to it, I didn't think. But um, but yeah, so I would suggest, if you haven't seen Midsummer yet, just watch the original cut, which I think is the only one getting released here anyway on Home End. Other than that, thank you very much. Thank you very much. We will talk to you again very, very soon. Beep, beep, Richie! Hello, 